Hi, everyone. It's Melinda Garvey with the See It To Be It podcast. This week, we have another great interview with an incredible role model. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the See It To Be It podcast. I'm your host, Melinda Garvey. Every month, I am so excited to bring you some really incredible female role models. And today is no different. I would like to welcome Pat Bondurant, and she is here with us today, and she has a fascinating racy story. I'll put it that way. How about prompt with that, Pat? Oh, yeah. Great to see you, and thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. And it's great to see you because I know who you are. So yes. we met before and it's great seeing you after COVID. Yes, absolutely. It is nice to be back. So everyone knows that I like to go back and just dream when you were a young girl and growing up and what, what was your big dream? What did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? And how did your past sort of twist and turn and lead you to where you are today? I had no aspirations of being anything. I know people are like, oh, I was going to be a ballerina. I was going to be a movie star. I don't more thought about that than the man in the moon. I don't know how this happened, but every day as a child, I just watched my life unfold. So you got to just kind of like paint this picture. I'm born in the middle of five brothers. So here I am, this little girl, and I've got these boys, you know, grew up to be extremely accomplished men. So at birth, they had a lot going for them. So here I am, a little girl. And first of all, you're not pretty. You're not smart. If you don't keep up with us, we're going to leave you behind. So you were given, <laughs> well, yeah. wow. I mean, I would get Barbie dolls and they would go dismember the arms and the legs and bury <laughs> them and give me a treasure map and say, now go find your doll. I mean, this is my beginnings. <laughs> so I really didn't have, I mean, we built tree forts, which later in my life kind of explained why I did so well in architecture. We did crazy things. We would hold hands and run in a line to the deepest part of the creek, which had a deep swimming hole that was full of water moccasins, i.e. poisonous snakes. And we were fearless. We just jumped in the water until the snakes ran away and we swam for, you know, the next couple hours. This was my life. Both parents worked. I had no idea what I was going to be. My mom was the second highest ranking female in the civilian division of our government. So she was basically an arms dealer for our government in the U.S. Army Missile Command logistics. So I never knew there was a ceiling. I never knew there wasn't anything you couldn't do. She was a ferocious reader. So of course, we kids were readers, but I never had any aspirations of what I wanted to be. I never went there. Wow. Wow. What a gift though. I mean, I love what you said. You never knew there was a ceiling. I hope and I wish for young women coming up today that they don't see that ceiling as much. I mean, certainly, you know, in in our generation, most of us did and still bump up against it sometime. And some of that is that mind over matter, right? You know, if you don't see it, you do things differently. I never wanted to be my mother either. I didn't want to be that. She graduated from high school at 13. As I got older, people were recognizing photographers that, hey, she's got special features. She'll do very well in modeling. My dad sent my picture in when I was 11 years old in a photogenic contest. I won that kind of, well, this is kind of fun. So I started getting into fashion. My mom was not a fashionista. (laughs) And here I am, the kid that's coming through the middle of all these brothers going, yeah, no, daddy 
can I have my first pair of high heels? You know, when I'm like 12. <laughs> so I started going into that fashion world, polar opposite of what my mom as the role model was. Went into runway modeling, particularly for bridal gowns, because that was mostly European gowns at the time in the 70s. And they wanted the tall, blue-eyed blonde to wear their wedding gowns. And so I did that. I did a lot of regional Ford commercials. So again, it's all about the beauty. I was a beauty queen in high school, but I never gave it much attention. I never saw what anybody else saw which meant I did not ever let it get to my head. And I never thought I was that pretty to begin with, but other people, you know, they kind of saw that. So my senior year in high school, I take a drafting course so I can go to a fashion design school in Atlanta. That was like, okay, I'm going to be in fashion. But the summer after graduating, NASA was advertising for senior graduates who had taken drafting. So I applied at NASA, got the job, and you can only imagine, it's 4,000 men on drafting boards, and here this little tall, blue-eyed blonde model that, A, they've either seen me on every TV channel doing a Ford commercial, they've seen me on the billboard on the way to work. I did big tennis champion, so I was in the paper, so they're all like, holy cow. (laughs) So I thought, okay, I'm going to get this job just because they know who I am. But the reality is, I was such an amazing amazing draftsman that they didn't keep me on just because I was, you know, good for morale. I had impeccable drafting skills, so I never made it to fashion design school. So what's interesting is I never went into a female industry after that. It jumped from my first job at NASA on the first space shuttle. Then I jumped into architecture and designed the Tomahawk cruise missile facility. That was my first building. Then I started my own architectural firm. All of this is just having pure guts to move forward. There is nobody giving me money or saying, here's your opportunity. I sought those opportunities. I started my own architectural firm, designed the world's first two-story fitness center and won national awards. And it just kept going on until I ended up marrying the love of my life after having some real skunks before I found my true love and ended up being the president and CEO of the Bob Bondurant School of High Performance Driving, number one racing school in the world. My fast forward life has always been in male industries, always the only woman in those industries. It is amazing that a kid that had no aspirations to be anything, and when one door shut, I just knew to walk through the next door. If it didn't open with a little kick of my foot, then I would go to the next door. It wasn't like bang your head till you force yourself in. And yeah, it wasn't that kind of strategy at all. Let's talk a little bit about sort of being in that world and your experience, and especially at the time that you were experiencing it. When you think back, did you have particular things that you overcame? Did you ever feel like they were trying to hold you back? And if so, how did you overcome that? You know, it was never in my jobs. I was one of those women that escaped all the sexual harassment, which I find amazing. I was never not allowed to be promoted when I earned it. So on the career side, I get five stars. It's where the monsters in my life that held me down and suppressed me was the abusive husbands that I married. Those were the bad guys. They start off charming and wonderful. And, you know, as a young Southern girl, when a guy says, I will kill myself if you don't marry me, I took it as a compliment. (laughs) I didn't get that part. You know, I thought, oh my God, I don't love him, but you know, this will be fun. And I walked into that trap a couple of times. That was the most suppressive 
chapter in my life was the men in my life until I met Bob Bondurant, my twin flame. I do find it absolutely fascinating, your unique experience of not facing some of the discrimination and the challenges that so many women face, and especially being a beauty queen and being that blonde, beautiful, you know, even more so, you know, I think that that happens. So that is actually amazing. And I think it goes to, I I think so much of this is in that mental state as well, Mm -hmm. because obviously, you know, whatever you were putting off at the office was not in a bad way, just there was no... I was projecting what I learned from my brothers, which I learned that in each of us is a male and a female. I mean, I learned that. I could be the feminine, but I also had the side of me that understood the masculine. And when you can finally figure that out, you're not a victim. You're not poor me because I'm a woman. Find that center in yourself and find where you're going to project. I do not take any BS off of anybody and let me set the tone right up front. And that's, I think I was doing it subliminally, but I think I was always setting the tone. Mm -hmm. I know who I am. You stay in your lane and I'll stay in mine. And I never had to say it. I think I just projected that. Interesting. Now that I look back at, you know, how I did that. Right. Yeah. It was probably all attributed to your brothers, you know, dismembering your Barbies and I can solve this. Not a problem. Not a problem. I can solve this. So, you know, when you had some different career paths and obviously, you know, sort of now jettisoned into, you know, entrepreneurship, you know, tell me a little bit just about your entrepreneurial journey and how that's different and sort of what that looks like today. You know, there's not a recipe. If I could put it in a can and sell it, I would. After NASA laid all of us off from the first space shuttle, we all went different directions. I ended up in interior design. That turned out to be, I was very good at that. You know, I think pulling out some of my fashion creativeness. But what happened was it was just life presenting itself to me. I did a lot of fantastic things with this company. And one day I woke up and said, hold on a minute, they're making a fortune off of me. Why don't I start my own architectural firm? So I called up a few other top-notch interior designers, a couple of architects that I knew through the industry. And I said, hey, you want to come join me? I didn't have a paycheck. I had a little boy, no child support. Had to move back home with my mom, and I had this brainstorm idea on my last paycheck. I asked a friend of mine whose offices I had designed, can I use your back conference room and one of your telephone lines? And he said, sure. What are you going to do? And I go, you just what? Well, I ended up starting my own architectural firm. That's when I won the National Design Awards for the Two-Story Fitness Center. I had tremendous projects, and it was just all unfolding. I had no expectations. I didn't say, I'm going to be the best. I let my life unfold. I always remained an honorable business person. I always believed that do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So I would never, you know, underhand another architect or another designer. Things came to me. It was just fantastic. So in one of the bad marriages, there was a lot of abuse, violent abuse, uh, to the point where my son had to be in court in the state of Tennessee, where they'd only done this twice in their entire history, where they found that the abuse to him on visitations was so bad that the courts removed the father's parental rights and his last name. So I'm fighting in court to save my child from being killed because this same father had a hit out on me. But at the same time, I'm trying to make this career grow. So I have the theory, we have seven lanes in our life. Don't ever think 
that you are in overwhelm when all you got to do is start opening up and broadening the different lanes. So you categorize stress, you live in this lane. Joy, you live in this lane. Aspirations and dreams, you live in this lane. You know, love for one another and do good deeds and be a good human being. So you create your lanes. And, you know, at the time I didn't know this was how it was playing out. But when I look back, I see exactly how it played out. So when I had to flee from the FBI to protect my son, it's painful. It was a very painful time in my life just to protect this child. So you got to be a mom. You got to be a tiger. You got to be a career woman. You got to look the part, you know, don't let yourself fall. Don't slip. And it wasn't because anybody said, oh, you can't fall. It was because it was the Southern woman in me. (laughs) You don't go to the mailbox without your lip gloss on. (laughs) I mean, it's just all the components of being a powerful, self-willed woman that had to make a living. And when I saw opportunities, I knew when to move. I wasn't the whiny girlfriend that's like, I hate my job. They're so mean to me. I don't like the way, you know, my career's going. Then get the heck out of the seat and go knock on another door. You know, I don't want to hear your whining. And that's because I was never that whiner. So, you know, I just always look for the next opportunity. You know, it wasn't that I was restless. It was I needed to make a living. (laughs) It was, okay, I'm not going to go backwards. I'm going to keep going forward. And it was a great time. I did a lot. I have done more in my lifetime than most women or men that I know. And because of that, I don't have any reins on me kind of concept of moving forward. I think that something that you've said a couple of times since we've been talking is about letting your life unfold. And I think that's a really interesting concept because I think that, you know, as human beings, we often try to control things or we try to figure it out, right? Okay, well, should I do this? Should I do this? We're always trying to manage it, right? And figure out what's best for us. And so how in your sort of, as as you go through that process of letting things unfold, because it sounds like that's at your core, what does it feel like? What do you do? Do you, do you meditate? Do you pray about it? How does that happen in your world? I think behind every big move you make in your life, there's a big story behind it. So in my cases, it was things that pushed me or forced me to make a move. It might have been when the court told the father, you cannot see this child for the rest of his life. And if you attempt to contact the woman, the ex-wife, you're going to go to prison. Well, that forced me to leave Nashville and move to Seattle. That wasn't something I had ever dreamed of. I never thought about, but the company I worked for in Nashville had an office in Seattle. I picked that baby up and said, we're out of here. I don't want to be within a 500 mile radius from that monster. And so that was the mama bear in me, you know, making the next move to protect my child, Mm -hmm. who in the end ended up trying to destroy me. It's a biblical story. What happened with that son that I put so much effort into saving ended up putting the knife to my juggler. So a lot of betrayals in this fascinating life of mine. Yes. No good deed goes unpunished, right? Mm. I never knew what that meant until I was it. (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. So tell us a little bit about Bob as your great love. So when did you meet him and how did you meet him? I mean, he was sort of a famous guy, right? I mean, this race car driver, I know that he trained the driver for the Ford versus Ferrari movie, which was a great movie, but I love the story behind that too. So just tell us a little bit about him and that journey and how y'all met and, and what you guys are doing now. 
All right. So hope everybody's sitting down. <laughs> we love buckled story. our seatbelts. <laughs> this love story is like no love story you have ever heard in your entire life. I can't go into it's a, it's a show all by itself of how it began when we were small. We're 22 years apart, how we both were pronounced dead at the scene of crashes. We both had that experience. I'm 11 years old and my dad takes me and the brothers to go see the movie Grand Prix. And I'm adorable. I'm in baby blue top, baby blue shorts, baby blue sandals, baby blue sunglasses. I mean, I'm all that, right? Already got curves at 11. And the movie starts and they start zooming in on the race car drivers. And I go, Daddy, who is that? He goes, it's James Garner. Eat your popcorn. The rest of the movie, I'm planning a wedding with James Garner. What, what, <laughs> how he's going to kiss me, what my dress is going to look like, how I'm going to sign my name, Mrs. James Garner, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward from 11 until I'm 55 years old. I meet Bob Bondurant at a car auction where I'm auctioning off my daughter's Viper, which is a long story, but he comes up to me and is just having this wow moment. And he's older than me and I'm not interested. And he asked for my phone number and I'm like, I don't get my number out. And my daughter goes, mom, that's the guy that you sent me to his driving school when we got the Viper. And I'm like, what? And I go, I'm not going out with a driving instructor. Sorry, <laughs> not going to happen. And she's like, no, mom, he's perfect for you. And I'm like, it's not going to happen. So long story short, she picks the phone up 10 days later and says, here, say hi. And it's him. And he's flipped out that I'm calling him. We have our first meeting. I go to the race school where he was. I had no idea. I knew nothing about this guy. I didn't know who he was, what he was, nothing. And we're in his museum and we're looking at all the cars. And I see, because I owned a TV station, co-owned one for 14 years, that, wait a minute, he's got Panavision cameras on each side of his helmet. And I go, hey, what are you doing with cameras on your helmet? He goes, oh, I was the technical advisor for the movie Grand Prix. I trained all the drivers. And I go, you know, James Garner? And he goes, yeah, he's actually <laughs> my best friend. Would you like for me to call him and introduce you? And I go, that's okay. I saw the notebook. I'm over it. <laughs> so long story short, he says, hey, James just sent me the new version with clips after the movie on a DVD. Could I bring it over to your house? And I did not want this guy to come to my house. And I thought, no, that would be kind of fun because the joy I felt falling in love for the first time at 11, I'd like to feel that again. He comes over, pops the DVD in. I remember the beginning and they're zooming in on the race car drivers and I jump up and I hit pause and I start screaming. This is not my style. Jumping up and down. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And he goes, what is wrong with you? Now, keep in mind, we don't know each other. He just like first time. In, oh my God. The bubbles were coming out of every part of my body. I was so happy. And I jumped up again. I go, you don't understand. I went to see the movie Grand Prix with my dad. And this is when I fell in love. And I told my dad, this is who I'm going to marry. And I'm so excited you brought this DVD because that feeling has just come back all over me. And he's like, the guy you put on pause? And I said, yes. He goes, Pat, that's me. <laughs> so her dad thought you were talking about James Garner that whole time. <laughs> yeah. and you had really seen him. Bob was all through the movie. And oh so we were gosh. married three months later. Okay. And that's only a tip of the love story itself. Um, wow. But in a condensed, put it in a teaspoon, that's how I met Bob. And that's how we are inseparable to this day, 11 years later. 
Oh my gosh. That is a great story. So you all are flexing your entrepreneurial muscle again, right? And you are relaunching this famous driving school. So tell us a little bit about that and what's your dream for that? It's a whole set of unfortunate circumstances of betrayal and greed and lawyers and collusion and bad guys and crimes and bribery. I mean, it's all the makings of a really bad, bad situation. My own son, we were given the school to him. He hired his own staff, which I was fine with because I was going to be retiring in a little over a year. So he was taking out my senior people and putting in his staff. What I didn't know was that he had a secret investor in his back pocket and he bribed my top management or his top management at this point. The bookkeeper who is quoted in articles saying I'm racist and hostile didn't mention the fact she was given a $30,000 raise weeks before releasing that article and coercing for my entire staff to do a walkout based on all of them lying. You can't make this stuff up. So Bob and I have lawyers that won't let us back in there to call our employees back. They lied and said, you cannot come back on the property. The courts won't let you. Total lie. So we believed them. We stood our ground. We stood back. They continued to destroy the school. It went into an auction on our assets only. So our name we reserved. So the guy that bought the assets, what does he do? Immediately sues us trying to steal our name. That cost me about a cool million dollars to win in court. They got beat. We kept our name. But what they did is they deny. So somebody needs to go ask them. If you didn't do it, who did? They stripped about a million dollars worth of race cars, put them in storage units and said, we didn't do it. Really? Okay. They took all of Bob's title museum cars, crossed state lines. We didn't do it. Really? Well, who did? Somebody go ask them. So had to deal with all this crime happening, swirling around us and fighting for our name. Keep in mind, I am doing this by myself. I pull from all the resources I have from every challenge I've ever had in my life to stand my ground and to fight and to win. And even though I won, they went back maliciously and lied to the media saying, oh, we own the Bondurant name and we've dissolved it. So it's like evil begets more evil begets more evil. So keep that part in your mind and your life on how you're going to deal with evil that you never saw coming. And he had nothing to do with my son. My son I mean, he's in hiding. You know how many people would like to do something to him for them losing their jobs and careers at Bondurant? Like they followed the lie and the Pied Piper is missing in action, (laughs) which, you know, it is what it is. So we have overcome all the battles that we think at this time we are presently, I like to say entertaining, but we're in negotiations with some tremendous racing titans in the industry, including some in Europe for F1 tracks that would love to have a Bondurant Racing School. For those who don't know the power of that school, the school's 53 years old. Bob has maintained being the number one racing school in the world all those years. He's always been known as the expert authority globally on driver training and safety. He's trained most of the NASCAR drivers, lots and lots of movie stars, including Christian Bale for the movie Ford versus Ferrari. And he is a complete, delightful gentleman beyond explanation. And I can tell you that firsthand because of the hours and hours he and Bob spent together talking about 
the character that he was playing in the movie Ford versus Ferrari. So we're at this place where we're still getting in interested parties on wanting to be potentially a partner. What I'm trying and hoping to do at 66 years old, my husband's 88. I want to spend the winter of his life with him. I don't want to be back on the track running the school every day. If he's not by my side, I don't have the same enthusiasm. You know, my flame isn't, you know, glowing like a blowtorch, like it was every day we got up and went to the school and to meet new people and watch them grow and then graduate them and have confirmation that they have been changed by coming to the Bondurant Racing School. So where we are now is we're starting to hone in on, at this time, we're at about three top candidates looking for the new home. We never died. We never got dissolved. All the lies that were put out in the media. We never lost our name and no one else will ever be Bondurant but us. So we're at this place where looking for the new home, think we found it not totally positive. It might be more than one under one license agreement. We're working on that. Europe will be a whole separate entity because it won't be the same licensing laws. But, you know, Bob is very involved in the decisions that we're making. So you, yesterday I did a podcast for PTSD on women. So it really focused on our PTSD, our trauma. How do we handle it? You know, how do we deal with all of that? And what came out of that is how much better women handle the stress than men do. But because if you can just know that, there is going to be another chapter. You're not always going to be in this dark hole. Like there's going to be that, like I said before, kick the door. If it doesn't come open easily, walk to the next door. And if it opens, then that's your door. And so it's been very wonderful getting the reception that we have received from people wanting to talk to me about the who, what, when, and where of the next Bondurant school. So that is very exciting. Yes. that I can tell Bob, here we go. Your legacy will live on. The fans are loving that I will not let the brand die. I absolutely won't. And, uh, you know, Bob's way of handling stress was uh, he would black out. Every time he thought about what my son and the lawyers did to him and how he lost his school unjustly, he literally, his brain shuts down. He blacks out. And when you get older, you handle stress differently. My way of handling stress is I've got to protect him, his name, and his legacy with all my might. And that's what we're doing right now. Mm, That sounds extremely exciting. And I wish you all the very best. So as we kind of wrap up here, what's your go-to piece of advice or something that you always like to impart, especially to other women, just about life and your journey and their career journey? Two things. Be careful who you trust because Mm. salt and sugar look the same. I definitely would like to give that piece of advice. I would also like to correct a myth that we're put here on this earth without a handbook. Oh, you're given a handbook. You either choose or not choose to pick it up. And that handbook is the Bible. You can, because even I was repelled by it. Like, oh God, don't talk about Jesus. I don't want to hear about that. She's a Bible thumper until I realized, well, Pat, just read the New Testament. And when I read that, that is your handbook, whether you like it or not. I deal with PTSD, veterans and first responders. Pills don't work. Electric shock therapy doesn't work. Alcohol doesn't work. Guess what works? The Bible. 
-hmm. And that's your handbook. And if you don't have a friend in the world, that's your friend. Read your handbook to be a good human being, no matter where you are and what stage of your life you're in, and you will succeed. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us and talking with us today and being so candid and open and sharing your journey. There's so many great life lessons in there. And we certainly are excited for your next chapter and we'll be watching and and seeing what you all do next. Thank you so much. And yes, there will probably be a movie out. We'll get that popcorn ready. Thank you so much, Pat. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the See It To Be It podcast. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, subscribe to our free weekly newsletter featuring a new woman to watch each week and check out over a thousand more featured women at onthedotwoman.com. Know someone we need to feature? Reach out at onthedotwoman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.